Welcome to the Sports Antidote, episode number 24, post-holiday treat. I'm your host, Danny Belts, with a Z. Short episode for you today. We got Tommy Bench coming on to talk about, at the end, per usual, bat and clean up, to talk about potential uh, social justice uh, mixology with the vaccine for COVID. He'll give an update on the child COVID percentages, all objectives straight from the website, CDC. He uses multiple sources just to kind of debunk the whole kids need to wear a mask because they'll die, all this stuff, just whatever. If, if you're, again, if you're one of these COVID freaks, mask, all this stuff, you probably, this isn't for you. And I'm not, we're not denying the virus and how nasty it can be, but come on. Also, we have L.A. Burns coming on to talk about the LSU-Texas A&M game. Very interesting matchup next week. Let's get into what I did last week. Um, we'll actually, we'll cap those. We'll get into that right before we get into the picks to come. I went 0-4 last week, 0 for my last 7. I am now 10 games below 500. That is unbelievably terrible. Wow. Uh, the good news is, is I know some of you commented on the Instagram we put up earlier. We had Liberty minus the 35. We put it up on Instagram. Hopefully that can can help. We got it up well before the game kicked, but it's going to take a lot of work to get me back into the game because I have never been this bad. I could never be this bad before or after this, but COVID football completely has ruined me as far as picking these games. It's not financially, but typically just the, uh, the way I go about things, which we'll get into uh, on today's show. I also want to talk about one more thing. If you have any questions, if anybody has any questions or subject matters they ever want to talk about, Hit us up direct message. Hit us up on Instagram, and we will res- we will respond to you regardless of how absurd it is. You can troll us, troll the piss out of me. I don't care, but we love the interaction. We had a little bit of that last week. We had a couple guys that don't really even know each other, from what I can tell, ask me how I go about to be so bad. Good question. So that's kind of a question and a troll at the same time. I'll take it. So I'm going to answer that question. Then we'll get into my picks from last week, how that happened, and then the picks to come. And like I said. L.A. Burns, Tommy Bench, and that's a wrap. Next week's episode, can't wait. Um, I'm going to give you a preview on that at the end of the show. I cannot wait for next week's perfect story. Local rap group here, extremely violent. People die. We'll tie it into a football game. It's going to be sick. So we need to show, make sure this episode is palatable, though. Although we didn't put this together with some scotch tape, we couldn't miss a week. This week's been a circus for me with the family and some stuff going on and you know, holidays and all this, whatever. But so to answer both these questions, which I think I know what they're saying, aside from the obvious troll, troll job, is Burns has gone over how he does things. And I, I realized I've never gone out about how I do things. So in a typical season in which I'm usually batting way higher than where I am now, uh, <laughs> like way higher, this is what I like to do. So I like to look at the opening line, which everyone should do. If you're a guy that takes pride in the way you pick and you don't care about the opening line, you need to stop gambling because you are a moron. I'm telling you right now, you have to know what the odds makers open this up at. Very important. And then I don't really put too much merit into that. And then in the next 12 to 24 hours, I want to see any succinct line movement. Kind of similar to what Burns does. But again, he's not really moving in stuff yet. He's looking for stuff to catch the eye. I like to actually look at previews, previewed matches before all these start. And he may do the same thing. And again, this isn't unique. I'm just telling you what I do because I was asked. So I kind of have a line in my head on what I think this could be. And then I'm going to wait for those lines to come out when I see the totals, the line and the total on these games I'm looking at. And then from there, I can decipher if this is what I thought, this is way off, etc. The ones that are way off are going to draw attention to me. Like, what? Wait, what? Hold on. Huh? And then we just go from there. What I will look at after that is specific line movement after the opening line. Anything crazy. Like, let's say some favorite is a seven-point favorite, and all of a sudden, within 24 hours, is an 11-point favorite. Like, whoa, that's significant. Or 
You have a dog that's plus six. Now they're plus two and a half. Whoa, what's going on there? Is this a public dog? Is this sharp money? As the week progresses, we want to look at two things. We want to look at, we have to look at the general public. I'm sorry, you just have to. I'm not saying, I don't think that Burns does that. It's not his, in his equation as much. I know he's cognizant of it. But it's also important to remember that line movement does not indicate the public. Very, very rarely does the public move the line anyway. Okay, we've gone over that before. I don't need to get into that whole thing. But when you see line movement going one way, do not assume the public is moving that at all. Rarely will that happen. Casinos will change lines just by seeing one person put 15000 on a game and they'll adjust it. If they know he's a sharp and they know he's a professional and he wins, they'll change the line right on that. They could give a shit about the other $10,000, $10 tickets, to be honest with you. Um, they're just trying to make sure they don't get exploited by that guy and people see him, then they follow him. Now you have a problem and they try to avoid that. So in the middle of the week, you'll see specific games start to get isolated, and you'll see games really start to move. Isolated games are the ones, the Maction on Wednesday night, the American League, the American League, the American Conference on Thursdays, maybe a random Friday game. I typically try to stay away from these games because there's so much money and focus on them. Example, if Texas San Antonio is playing North Texas on a Saturday, which we'll be talking about shortly, do you really care about that game? No, because there's a myriad of games. There's, there's, there's 50 games going on, so you could care less. If Texas San Antonio is playing North Texas and they're the only game on a Friday night, they're going to draw probably $20 million of action as opposed to the, I don't know, $100,000 of action they would draw during the course of a normal slate. So automatically you've got to look at those as well. Any type of line movement that goes towards dogs, the public, you have to look at public dogs. I know I preached this before, but if all the public likes a dog, that's a problem because no one bets these underdogs. So once again, if I identify one of the dogs I like and the public is on them, typically I get off of them. This year, I mean, public dogs are doing just fine because it's COVID. So we're massive favorites. <laughs> it's everything I hate uh, that is winning. So that's why it's kind of fugabooed me. And then I'll typically make my plays right there around Wednesday night, Thursday. I will beat the line most of the time. Even in COVID football, I'm beating the line four out of five times easily. It doesn't matter because I'm getting blown out on the other end. Beating, you don't win any money for beating the line or the total. You only win money uh, when you win at the end, which I most certainly have not done a good job of doing. Now, Burns likes to wait till later on in the week, but sometimes I will too, particularly if I'm looking at something like, wow, this line's tinkering, and we're not even going to pretend like this whole COVID thing, because again, you can just give the injury report right before a game kicks, and you're totally screwed, i.e. what happened to us with um, Louisville um, twice now, particularly when they played Virginia Tech. Most importantly, I think the, the, the big thing to look at too is any lines that crossed the Mendoza line, that is, they were favored, it went to zero, and then over. I'm not saying that's something you want to put money on, but it always should draw your attention because that's always a weird look. And any totals that have rapid declines, any overs where the total starts to drop really fast. I'm not really a big fan of all the totals that move up. No, no. But totals that are high that start to really decline or readjustment. Somebody asked me what that was. Let's say the over-under is 49. Virginia's playing Virginia Tech. I don't know. And all of a sudden they recognize this was a mistake. They will take that off the board, readjust it, and put it at 45 and a half before you have action on that, before you have time to have action to kill them. Readjustments happen all the time. You can see them. Uh, games will get circled, taken off the board. Um, I think we talked about this in case I didn't mention it. A circled game means you can't exotic bet it. In other words, you can't parlay or tease it. You have to bet it straight. Games will be circled all the time. Another thing you want to look for, why they circle it. I know there's a lot of information, but it's not that difficult of an equation to do what I do. There's five parts to it. It starts from opening line, then it starts to early line movement, then it starts to what happens in the middle of the week when people start to be aware of things. Now you have to decipher if the line's going to move or not. Do I bet it now? Do I bet it later? I like to bet it earlier than later. Some people like to bet it later to get a better line. I don't know. It's kind of like the stock market in that regard. When do you buy? You know, buy high, sell low. How do you operate, right? It's probably not the best way to go, 
<laughs> in this case, I've been selling extremely low, unfortunately. So that's kind of how I go about things. Not really a story for you this week, but I know that it, I was I was asked that, and people talk about you know if I pay attention to the public. I've been asked that. Yes, obviously you have to, but the main thing is not public favorites. The public will always be on favorites. I can't stress this enough. When there is an underdog that everyone likes, I'm not saying it's not going to hit because they've been hitting this year, but in all reality, and if you go back years and hopefully after this year, those are ones you almost want to fade because they're typically a very bad look. The most obvious one this year was when everyone loaded up on South Carolina versus LSU. And that was the, one of the biggest public dogs of the year. Opened up at eight, got down to like three by kickoff. LSU blew them out Finally, we were on a good old-fashioned fade the public dog, but there's been others that have not gone that way. So anyway, let's get into the picks of last week, and then I'll get into the picks to come. Last week, let's get into that. Let's not even get into that. I lost every game. It was pathetic. (laughs) Oh, my God. We're not discounting the losses, but it's just we'll save the bit on that one as we're trying to shorten the show this week, just for this week. So let's get into the picks to come, hopefully a little more optimism uh, out of this segment. We're going to change the Molly music just for this one show. Uh, so we have Liberty rolling right now up 31-0 at the half, looking good. We're laying 35 in that mug. I did see some people get on that. That's good. That's good. I have two, two college, two pro. You're going to laugh at probably all of these, but I have to think that I'm getting back to the well eventually. Me getting back to the well will pay dividends to stop trying to outrun um, the COVID disaster as I panic to be 10 games below 500, which is unacceptable. This is going to be a very quick, quick segment here. Let's start with college. Aside from Liberty, I think everybody was down on them for losing last week to North Carolina State. I've been following them things pretty closely. Looks like they had some team meetings. Those are always going to catch an eye. Uh, and some pretty intense workouts, says their beat writer. I do not think this team does not care about pummeling UMass and finishing with one loss as a school record. And they're showing that right now, up 31 nothing. It's the first time I've ever talked about a game on the podcast as it's going on. I seem some like sort of like, yeah, okay, you're doing it now. But no, we had it up earlier. We don't like to do that a lot. But I just, I didn't know it started at 11. I thought it started tonight or 11 o'clock tomorrow, actually. So it's certainly a swing and a miss, but, but neither here nor there. North Texas plays Texas San Antonio. We've been on this team, both these teams, a lot. I do like both quarterbacks, particularly Bean for North Texas. Both these defenses are so suspect. The total opens up at 63. Readjust. They take it off. Comes back 65 and a half. It gets back up to 67. The juice now is on the over. I really, really think I'm going to hit a Sun Belt over pretty soon. I mean, good God. I think I'm 0 for 4 in these this year. I'm 1 and 3. Excuse me. We're taking the over in North Texas. Texas San Antonio over 67 as play number two. My boy of Rutgers over here. We took them early versus Indiana, and they had one of the greatest plays of all times to backdoor Indiana that was called back. It's ridiculous, but Shiano really has done a good job with this offense. They even pumped in some points in Ohio State. They've been winning some games and scoring lately, and Purdue's defense is nowhere near what it used to be, and they also can put up some points. That opened up at 59. It's up to 62. We're going to be taking the over in Rutgers. Purdue is play number three, over 62 points. Let's go to the league. What team is worse than the New York Jets? You help me out. What team is worse? They are terrible. But it looks like Darnold's going to play. And what team is more beloved right now than the, than the Dolphins, even though they had a shortcoming last week and Tua got a little banged up? He is going to play, but it looks like he's hurt. This game is down here. Uh, it is, I think, it, yeah, it is in New York. 
The thing is, though, why would it only be seven if this team was so bad? Like, if everything was so bad, why wouldn't it just be more? Because Miami's playing for a playoff spot. They have all these things to play for. The Jets have nothing to play for except for a draft spot to go ahead and get the lesbian quarterback for Clemson. And then they can trade Sam Darnold to the Saints. <laughs> I'll take him with open arms. By the way, that kid's good. You're only as good as the offensive line in front of you. And they don't block for that kid. He runs for his life. He's got some serious talent. That is not, I am not arguing that. Full stop. Stop, stop, stop. He's extremely talented. You could put Patrick Mahomes on the Jets. They may win one more game they had this year, and that's only one. So don't even give me that Billy Jack bullshit about him. That boy can go. And because of that, we are taking the Jets. Getting the seven at home versus the Dolphins. We did this with the last time I took the Jets was against the Dolphins in Miami. We got our ass kicked. I think things are changing. I do like the way the Jets have looked recently. A little more competitive. I don't think they let this one slip by them. Foolish pride may get in the way here. Screw that draft pick. Screw the lesbian quarterback from Clemson. Forget him. Let's go out and play. Let's win a game. So we like the Jets a lot. We're taking the Jets at plus seven. I think they win the game outright. I really don't care who's quarterback at this point, even if it's Joe Fuckhole or Flacco. I'm sorry. But I do think Donald's going to play. We're taking the Jets plus seven. The biggest public consensus of the week is the Miami Dolphins, except for this one. The Philadelphia Eagles. Who is worse than the Philadelphia Eagles right now? We need to get rid of our quarterback. Wentz is done. Let's get Peterson out of town. We play the ever-popular Seattle Seahawks with their sexy quarterback, Russell Wilson. And if they're so much better than Philly, why are they only laying five on the road? Does that mean we're taking Seattle? <laughs> no. We're taking the Eagles on Monday Night Football plus the five. This is going to change. The public will stop this tirade. They will stop these winning, all this stupid betting of favorites. It's starting to happen with the chefs. You can't just bet the Chiefs anymore and just get away with it. They're starting to not cover. This is going to come back to bite everyone, and I think this is the week it does. Two stink-ass dogs in pro football. The Jets plus seven, the Eagles plus five. Quick, quick recap. Liberty running currently up 31-0. If you missed that, I'm sorry. North Texas, Texas San Antonio over the 67. Rutgers, Purdue, over the 62. The New York Jets, J-E-T-S, Mets, 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 plus the 7. And the Philadelphia Eagles, at home versus the Seahawks, plus the 5. World needs plenty of bartenders. Two weeks with pay. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, one of the wokest people that walks the face of the earth. He's so woke that he was even the one that led the campaign that said that a black person has to replace Kamala Harris, even though she's not black. That's fine. He is the biggest wear your masker guy on the planet up there with Kate Brown in Oregon. Nancy Pelosi in San Francisco, actually on Capitol Hill, and especially de Blasio, all of which been caught without a mask. And in the midst of him reshutting down California, he is at this Yitzy party at the most expensive restaurant on the planet, French Laundry. My brother sent me a picture of the menu. Oh, my God. It's something featured Animal Farm Butter. Did a little play on that one? I bet it was Animal Farm Butter. I bet George Orwell himself was at that dinner and shame on this guy for mingling without a mask while everyone else and all these restaurants are shut down. It's not shut down for him and he doesn't have to wear a mask. It's just like typical far leftist nonsense. Do as I do. Excuse me. Do as I say. Not as I do. I wrote a book on that. It's called Do As I Say, Not As I Do, Profiles in Liberal Hypocrisy. Great book, especially one on Noam Chomsky, Cornell West, and Michael Moore. Couldn't put it down. Read it in 10 minutes nearly. Short read, Google it, buy it. Where's L.A. Burns when you need him? Well, hopefully Danny Belts can right the ship. He's lost his last seven. Maybe adding a little college basketball will help. Who knows? 
Not sure. Used to be pretty good at that too, but with the COVID thing, who's good at anything? Isn't that right, my man Burns? COVID football had exactly been nice to Danny Belts. COVID football has been tough, man. Definitely a lot of new variables and, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time on games that have uh, ended up being canceled and that sort of thing. So, you know, just have to keep a tight ship. And um, I think it's, it's better this year than ever, or more important, I should say, this year than ever to just be disciplined and to try to stay in your lane and not go crazy uh, just because you never know what's going to happen on game day or five minutes before the game or anything. So, yep. I'm going to give you an example. I have um, Gonzaga Auburn over right here. I've been doing pretty well in college basketball. And right before tip Gonzaga, two of their starters out with COVID right there. Boom. Now, it doesn't matter because it's going over 200, but, but they, it's happening in basketball too. So any basketball strategy people definitely have, you can throw that out the window too. We're going to start seeing a lot of that um, as well. And speaking of strategy, before we get into LSU Auburn, I'm glad you were able to turn on the television or the, the radio. There was a tout on there. You heard him, and I heard him again a couple of days ago saying that he is 72% in pro football this year and COVID doesn't matter in college or pro. I was going to call you again, but I didn't think you could stomach it. How pathetic is that? It was so funny. He was saying that he <laughs> nor, the, the pick that he was giving away for free, he normally sells for $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> so you know if you have ten thousand dollars to buy one pick uh you know uh, you better be laying a hundred thousand and it has to be a winner right but that's you know, right that's right unbelievable but anyway speaking of the winners let's get into one potentially here i know you don't like to give out your picks on the show don't blame you uh that's into the subscription but again you're selling information and you just happen to have a couple picks it's not a tout don't get him confused or being some tout because he is not um this game though i know you have no interest in gambling-wise, but it is interesting to talk about being as where Texas A&M is playing LSU. So I'm going to go on a little rant here, and then you can pick up. I'm not a huge fan of Texas ass-to-mouth, uh, especially kind of what they – they kind of – it wasn't their fault that the refs basically let them win in that seven-overtime game. Um, but this is an example of what happens when a team starts off really high in the rankings. Okay, so you barely beat Vanderbilt. and Everyone says, well, that was the first game of the year. I don't care. You still barely beat Vanderbilt. You get crushed by Alabama. And you basically should have lost to Florida, and Florida beat themselves. And then you kind of beat Mississippi State. We remember that one. I think Mississippi State kind of beat themselves. You snuck away from Arkansas. I mean, you gave up a big lead. You pound South Carolina. That's the only game they've really been in control of the entire year is against one of the worst teams in the SEC. And now LSU comes in there getting 14 and a half points. So start to finish, what, did you, what did you, have you seen since the line opened? What do you see now? And what are your thoughts on this game? Because – all I'm seeing is A&M, A&M, A&M. Right, right, right. Well, uh, it looked like the line opened at 12 at Circa. It was, you know, pretty quickly up to 14. Now I'm seeing 14 and a half, and 15s out there. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind when I start thinking about this game is last year's A&M-LSU game. Uh, that was the senior night for Burrow, and they really laid it to him. <laughs> it was 50 to 7. Yep. Uh, it was an embarrassing performance for the Aggies. I'm sure they've been pointing towards this game, uh, you know, for a while now. They've been off for a couple of weeks. They were supposed to play Tennessee, then they were supposed to play Ole Miss, and they had some COVID issues in their program, which led to the postponement, cancellation, whatever it's going to end up being of those games. But like I said, I know that they were looking towards this one. And, you know, you mentioned the Arkansas game with A&M. 
they they pretty much controlled that. They were up 42 to 17, and Arkansas scored a couple of late touchdowns to make it look a little bit closer than than you know the game might have, have really been. But you're right, they haven't had that great performance. But when you look at their season, you know, when you look at the fact that they have one loss and that loss was to number one Alabama in a game that they actually were competitive in in the first half. It was pretty close up until the end of the first half, if I remember correctly. Um, they hung with them pretty well. Uh, so, you know, beating Florida, having your only loss be Alabama, um, it's the start of a good resume. I mean, it, this year is a little bit different. There's not as many, you know, there's really no out-of-conference games, so you can't build your resume that way. So you kind of have to take it as it comes. And a lot of times teams will just start playing better ball uh, at this time of year, and it kind of becomes evident, um, you know, which teams are playing the best. So, there's a few weeks to go, and we'll kind of see how that all works out. But, uh, you know, the point's well taken. And LSU, I believe, I, you know, I think I saw the other day that they maybe have won seven in a row. Well, no, I guess that's not right. I don't know exactly what the stat was. I know that they've had a lot of success, but obviously they lost that game. Yeah, the, since A&M's came to the SEC, the only one they've lost was the six overtime fiasco. Okay, okay. That, that must have been what it was. Um, yeah. You know, a&M's a solid squad, and they're a veteran squad. Uh, they have uh, senior Kellen Mond at quarterback. They have Isaiah Spiller and Aeneas Smith at running back. Spiller's a really good runner. Smith's more of a multi-purpose back, and he leads the team in receiving. Uh, they have a really good tight end in Jalen Weidermeyer. Uh, big body, you can catch the ball, move the sticks. Uh, good in the red zone. Uh, they don't have a ton on the outside. They lost their best wide receiver before the season started. A guy named Jamon Osborne uh, opted out with COVID. And then they had a couple injuries at that position. So the guys they have out wide are developing players and talented players, but they're not quite as strong out there as they are with the running back and tight end game. Uh, and with Mon running the ball a little bit on his own. So they're going to present some problems to an LSU D that, has looked a little bit better, but still was pretty confused on pass defense <laughs> still a few pretty times bad. last week. Uh, yes, you know, still. they played an Arkansas team. You know, they got, the, they got a tough win. That was a good win for LSU on the road. But we have to say that uh, Arkansas was, was without their starting running back, Rakeem Boyd. They were missing six or seven players on the defensive line. So, you know, they were playing against a really depleted line. And I think they ran for 150 yards. But – uh, you know, it's a little bit impressive, but again, it was against a, a line that didn't have most of its players. And uh, Arkansas still seemed to get a good amount of pressure on the quarterback up the middle in that game. So, you know, AM has some talent on the outside, on the D line. So if they're getting pushed up the middle, they're going to have a better chance of getting home uh, against TJ Finley when he drops back to pass. Sure, so, sure. He's just um, the, the darker version of Zach Mettenberger. I get it. Not exactly the most mobile. Uh, fleet of foot of quarterbacks. He kind yeah, of stands out. Like a, you, listen, yeah. I've been impressed by 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 he's pretty him good. This yeah, no, year. no, he's you know, he's I young. mean, for a freshman just getting thrown out there unexpectedly, he looks like he's got a little bit of swagger and he's got some pretty good confidence and he's got a cannon for an arm. He's going to have to learn how to take something off here and there before he gets. You know, he's going to throw the football directly through somebody here at some point. But, so, uh, is there any chance they they could be looking ahead of LSU to Auburn next week because that's going to be their big home run game? You don't think so because of what they did absolutely last year? not no That's absolutely not this is yeah. this is this has turned into a little bit of a, a rivalry here we got Jimbo Fisher uh, over there in College Station he's got LSU ties uh, there's no way that they're going to forget about uh, 
that 50 to seven drubbing last year. And then they've also had to hear a lot of uh, talk from LSU nation about the 74 72 game, how it was handed to handed to them by the refs and that sort of thing. So there's not going to be any shortage of, uh, of ammunition in the tank here uh, coming for LSU. So it just turns into a situation where, you know, what, what kind of performance are we going to get out of LSU? Uh, again, they, they ran the ball all right last week, but you know, it remains to be seen if they're going to be able to do that again. We have a freshman quarterback who's going back on the road. His last performance on the road wasn't so great. That uh, loss they took, I think it was 48-11 to, to Auburn. And there's going to be 25,000-plus in, in the stands tonight. And uh, I think there's going to be some weather, too. There's like an 80% chance of rain. So it's going to be a different situation for him. And, you know, I just get the sense that LSU is going to have to play – one of their better games and, and A&M going to have to play down a little bit, which is possible on the weather or for whatever reason, LSU certainly has the horses, but uh, you know, just the way that they've been managed and the way that they've seemed disorganized that you know, LSU's past D. So if you look at opponent yards per pass play and worst, they are like, uh, I think, the fourth worst in the nation. And I think they're the second worst when it comes to Power 5 teams. So they have a historically bad pass defense. It's the worst pass defense by the numbers. And, of course, that's all skewed by today's game and how many times people throw and what have you. But it's the worst pass defense by the numbers in a lot of stats in LSU history. So, um, you know, it's hard to, for me to trust – LSU against a team that can put up points, and I think this A&M team can. But you know, it's a rivalry game; it's over two touchdowns. So, you know, people who people who don't mind laying points will will throw it out there. I'd have to think a little bit more, you know, uh, a little bit more about that, and have to, have to feel pretty strong that that A&M is going to blow them out to lay 15 points. Because if not, they might be up 21 late, give up a touchdown, and have dominated the whole game, but still not cover. So right, right, right. Um, but they, you know. <clears throat> A and M has a has a good offensive line. There's four seniors. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot going for A and M in this game. And you know, it's just like we've talked about a few times this year. It's it's hard to be super high on LSU, even when it looks like they might be in a decent spot or be getting you know at a generous line or whatever the case may be, especially against a team that you know is going to come in hungry based yep. on recent results. Uh, I'm not touching that game with a pole, i tell you that. But, uh, no, I like the analysis there. I think that's relatively objective. I think that's what we're looking for from you. So, look, we're having a short short pod today. So, look, man, I appreciate you jumping on. And uh, we'll be back on schedule next week, recording Wednesday nights, and have it up on Thursday. All right, buddy. Looking forward to it. And I'll talk right. to you later. Thanks, Burns. All right. That was good to hear from L.A. Burns some good subject matter on the LSU A&M game. And how dare I actually think that LSU, or excuse me, A&M would look past LSU to Auburn. Well, I didn't really think that. I just kind of suggested it. Of course, I have a lot of things I think and suggest. I suggest that no one needs to wear a mask. I think the whole thing's a hoax. I'm just kidding. But Tommy Bench, welcome to the Sports Antidote. And you have some you have some takes and some um, updates on child COVID. That's right. Maybe a little, some vaccination information. Uh, and then... Uh, I don't know. Bed, bath, me on. We'll see if there's time. Go ahead. We just yours. we just don't know if there's going to be enough time. So, all right, folks. So if you've been one of our faithful listeners over the past couple of months, you know, every six to eight weeks, we kind of give you a check in with 
information about uh, fatality statistics. And again, not to be uh, sound uncaring, any of these deaths are, of course, a tragedy. But we're just going to speak in a rather clinical manner. All the numbers that I cite come directly from the CDC website, cdc.gov slash NCHS, NVSS, VSSR, COVID Weekly Index. You can Google it. You can look it up. You can see these numbers. They've actually, every few weeks, they seem to put some effort into updating their uh, the portal, the way it's laid out. And it's actually laid out in a very user-friendly way to look at the numbers and see for yourself. So what, what, one of my contentions has long been, for kids under the age of 18, this really is a non-issue. By and large, it is a non-issue. And we check back in every week, to, to, or every few weeks, six to eight weeks, to see if that contention is holding. So here's the latest update. From February 1st through November 25th, the last week for which data was aggregated, the number of people under the age of 24 who have died in the United States numbers 49,686. Let's call that 50,000 to keep it easy. Out of those 50,000 deaths, 515 are COVID. Now, for us math majors out there, that's, that's 1%, 1.03%. So, so the bottom line is, if you are a 24-year-old person or younger, all the way down to birth, and you end up in the morgue, that's a tragedy to lose such a young person. There is a 99% chance that if somebody had to guess your cause of death and the options were COVID or anything else, if they said anything else, they would be right 99% of the time. Okay, so that, that's the latest update. Those are the <laughs> numbers. You, you take from it what you want, but those are the facts. They are not disputed. 515 COVID deaths versus 50,000 deaths total from all causes, February 1st through, through November 25th, and that's ages 24 and under. Okay. Let's talk about the overall COVID picture in this country because it, it is developing. Um, there, there's no doubt the number of cases is increasing. The number of fatalities are increasing and the hospitalizations. They're all going up and they, ha they have been trending up for the past couple of weeks. It seems that we might be approaching a peak for at least deaths and cases. However, and I'm always very careful because you can't declare a trend until you have two or three weeks of data. So it's kind of one of these, you don't know you're right until you're right kind of situations. You, you can't really just after three days say, oh, the numbers have flatlined. No, we've seen that before. And then they start climbing again. But it seems when you look at seven-day rolling averages for case counts and death counts, we, we might have hit the peak. But again, we won't know for sure for another two or three weeks. Okay, hospitalizations. Hospitalizations are increasing. They appear that they are continuing to increase. The, the difference between very early on, in other words, in April, is they are more spread out. In April, there were a handful of places where hospital systems were just getting the brunt of the entire nationwide hospitalization count, and that was really concerning and alarming. The hospitalizations now were hitting up about 90,000, a touch over 90,000 people total currently hospitalized. And I get that data from the COVID tracking project, which is run by the Atlantic. So hardly a, a bastion of right wing thought over there. So we're going to take their numbers and their numbers are largely derived from Johns Hopkins. So all that to say the hospitalizations are going up, but it does seem more evenly distributed throughout the entire country. Again, hard to know if we're hitting a peak there. Or, or if that'll continue to climb up to 100, 125, 130,000. 
that would be concerning if we start getting significantly over 100,000 even spread out throughout the country. Sure. Now, what's interesting, some of the states that have been hit the hardest in this latest round, like North Dakota, North Dakota is actually approaching a point where their caseload is about 100,000 per million. So that means in that state, almost one out of 10 people have gotten it. And they seem to be cresting that peak and like they're on the downward slope. Now, if you factor in the fact that we're not actually diagnosing 100% of cases, there's the, the case rate and the infection rate. And it's pretty well acknowledged and understood that the infection rate is a multiple of the case rate because there's asymptomatic cases. I'm sure everybody's heard that term by now. So I'd be curious, like, is it really the case that in North Dakota, maybe there's three or 400,000 out of a million who've gotten it? Like, are they are they at the point where... 30 to 40% of their population has already been infected with it. It'll be very interesting to see how quickly, if they have in fact peaked and how quickly. Sorry about that. I lost you there, but you were talking about a peak. So we were starting to see, or it's possible we're starting to see a peak. And very specifically, the state of North Dakota will, I think, be a good indicator to look at. They have the highest case per million rate, 100,000 per million Um confirmed cases. So that's a way of normalizing things based on the different population size of states. The next closest state is at about 85,000 per million. So it will be interesting to see if North Dakota is a leading indicator of what others in this current um, current surge or current rise in the number of cases, this, this second wave, if you want to call it that. Again, I would contend this is a second wave in some places like Florida and Texas seem to be getting a second wave. In other places, it's really just the first wave. They, they never really got hit with a first wave in the spring or the summer even. Those are most of the Midwestern states that are, excuse me, now experiencing daily highs in number of cases. So that's kind of the big picture look at how the vid is progressing. On a more personal note, two out of three of my kids got diagnosed, tested positive a couple of weeks ago, and then I finally got a positive test. I'll more on that. But for the kids, that's 10-year-old and 6-year-old, they had mild fevers for 24 hours. They were better, did the 10 days of quarantine. The, the one even made it back to school for a couple of days before Thanksgiving break. It, it really was an enormous non-event for them. <laughs> I, 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 and I understand that's not everybody, and I'm sure somebody's, well, my kid had a very serious kid. And that, all right, I'm sorry to hear that. Just like the flu. Some kids get hit very hard. Some kids don't get hit at all. But interestingly... They really had very mild cases. I, on the other hand, had a, it was frustrating. I actually tested negative for it while I was symptomatic and, and then had another six or seven days of coming and going fevers and eventually went to my doctor because I had a physical schedule and they did some, some different blood tests, not just the antibody, not an antibody blood test, but there are other markers in your blood that can indicate you're in the midst of a COVID infection. And they took those. And those finally tested positive. But I had the nasal swab done in the midst of being symptomatic. And it tested negative. Tested negative on the uh, rapid test and then on the PCR test, which is the more sensitive one. Interestingly, I think the technician who did it just wasn't doing it right. Because I, I've heard from multiple people, and even my doctor confirmed this when I was talking to him and explaining everything. If, you, if your eyes don't water, they're not doing it right. And I can tell you the yeah. time that I had done my eye, the, the guy, he was so gentle, like just swirling around the inside. So I'm, how many people out there go get a test done and there's human error involved in the execution of the test and you get an incorrect result? 
I mean, I tested negative. In theory, I could have gone out bebopping along, but I, I then had five or six more days of coming and going fever after that negative test. So it really, what a frustrating thing. Now, good news is on the horizon, though. Operation through Operation Warp Speed, and I know there's all this debate about, well, this company said they're not really part of it, and this company said, whatever. A vaccine, it seems like vaccines have been developed and will be distributed. I mean, we're now talking within a matter of weeks. We're not even talking within a matter of months, within a matter of weeks. My prediction is this will become the new front for social justice warriors. <laughs> okay, I, I think everybody's going to agree, like, all right, hospital workers, frontline workers, first responders, not cops, but other first responders, because that would further the racist patriarchy if we gave it to cops. But maybe other first responders. I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of debate about that. And then there probably won't even be much debate about, well, how about the military and old people, right, in some combination of that. But then when it gets down to the general public, the general, the GP, the general population. Oh, I think the social justice warriors are going to come out and they're, they're going to find cases and instances where in one population, a, a disparate number of, you know, white people were provided it versus, you know, some other grouping of people. And, and, and instead, of course, instead of looking at that and seeing, well, we did, did they sign up earlier? Was is there some reason? Is that are are white people overrepresented in one of the populations that it's been determined should be first in line to get it? Like instead of looking at that, there will just be a lot of yelling and screaming, accusations of racism, and it'll be the new front for social justice warrior. So that is my prediction. Get ready for that as the vaccine starts getting rolled out and starts getting determined who it should be provided to and in what order. And I, I really. Look forward to those ludicrous debates that will not be based in fact, reason, or reality. But why just, do we want to do that? Why we want to have? Why? Why reason? would you? Why would you? I know. <laughs> so that's where things stand. Again, you know, wash your hands, do the things you're supposed to be doing to, to stay safe, um, but don't let it dominate your life. I mean, I, I kind of, I very much agree with that principle. Like, I, I just when I hear of people who still talk about locking down. The, the way I think most people did back in March or April, and they're still doing like who's still quarantining if you're healthy, if you're healthy and, and you do, like who, who's who's still doing that? I don't know. Just, it's just people that just it's, it's ridiculous. Ludicrous. I have a, I saw a whole family walking down the street earlier with masks on this morning and I was just I was walking my daughter pulling her in a wagon and they looked at me like like I was a leper and I kind of wanted to say something but I was I was in a good mood. I was listening to some good old classic piano. It calms me down. Uh, <laughs> but uh, man, I tell you, nothing takes belts away from violence like some Chopin. But anyway, uh, I gave them a look like don't look at me. Don't shred on me, chief. But hey, if you want to close with bench, we got to go. No, let's uh, um, Liberty. You know, we picked them. We put it out on Instagram because uh, oh, yes, we weren't yes, going to get right. this podcast episode out before. most of our listeners follow us on instagram anyway i see a lot of people saw it and they're up a healthy 28 nothing here we like second. it we yeah, like we, it but for the record we we had it called before the start of the game you can check our instagram profile These at, least by, an hour. at yeah. least by 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 a good hour we had that oh, up and... interception liberty here we go all right let's get it going it might get a win to begin the week it's the first for all me right this year. all right well We'll, uh, we'll have more of an organized episode next week. We just wanted to get one out because of all the cluster F and, you know, the holidays. But we appreciate you coming on, and we'll see you next week. Always good to be here, out here. Thanks for joining us today on the sports episode number 24. Holiday treat, post-holiday treat, whatever you want to call it. We just threw this one together. 
This week was an absolute circus. Be sure and follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antidote. We're getting near 1,300 followers or something like that. It's going pretty well. Next week's episode is going to be great. It's going to be a play on a local rap group, the first people cash money record signed, UNLV. One of the most violent rappers ever, locally here in New Orleans, Yellow Boy. UNLV stands for Uptown N-Word Living Violently, and boy, did they ever. A crazy story will tie that into a local football game as well. I can't wait to get into that one. I won't give away who he's playing yet, but don't be shocked when you hear it. Thanks to Tommy Bench. Thanks to L.A. Burns. And you can follow me on Twitter at Danny underscore Belts with a Z. Although nobody follows me on Twitter anyway because we don't really care about Twitter. Follow us on the Sports Antidote on Instagram, at the Sports Antidote. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at the Sports Antidote as well, at Sports Antidote. Excuse me. We'll see you guys next week. Keep it real, Antidotions. Which I won't cause I don't retreat. I run you over like a truck and leave it dead in the street. You're inviting me a titan to a battle. Why I don't